listening to Hope for Today Church podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. Okay, God bless you, everybody. I'm going to invite you to take your seats, and we're going to get into the time of the Word together this afternoon. What a what a wonderful time in worship, and I love hearing people raising their voices to God with a voice of triumph. I felt some triumph in the room today as we were singing and praising, Amen. And and so we're we're establishing that culture, and it's it's okay to move and to express yourself um, before the Lord, Amen. So. It's good to get into the word this afternoon. It's nourishment for our soul and informs our soul. And so I'm going to invite you to turn um, back to Acts chapter 13. Um, we're going to go into uh, part two of where we left off last week. And I have to say thank you, Ron, for sharing your testimony last week. Were you encouraged by Ron's testimony? Amen. Amen. I was listening to it, watching it online, and then listening to the podcast. And you know, Ron, there were other people that joined by podcast, and they were tremendously encouraged by that. So uh, thank you for being willing to share. Uh, our other directors of the church, they're going to be sharing at one point too. So um, get excited and be ready for that as they uh, work on uh, being ready to share their testimony with us. So as we get to Acts 13... Uh, we've been witnessing this wonderful unfolding of God's plan through the proclamation of the gospel, which means good news. And this passage, passage is so much more than a historical account, but a living testimony of God's faithfulness and transformative power. Do you believe that his presence is transformative? When you read the word of the word, as we looked several weeks ago, the word of God is living and active. It's able to speak to every facet and circumstance of your life. And so as we looked in Acts 13, we saw on the Sabbath when Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, they were given this invitation, an opportunity to encourage the people. In verse 15, they said, if you have any words of encouragement for the people, you can speak. And so in that moment, Paul boldly proclaimed the good news that in Jesus, essentially, God's redemptive plan and covenant promises are fulfilled. And you might be here today saying, well, what are those covenant promises? They are essentially wrapped up in his forgiveness and justification through faith in him. Justification meaning that you've been made right with God. That the wages of sin, which meant death, is no longer on the, the line for you. He paid the price for you. And now you can live alive and well to God. Life to the full. And in fact, in chapter 13, verse 39, Paul says, Everyone who believes is justified through him. For everything you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. And so on the Sabbath, 
as God designed through Paul's faithful proclamation of the gospel, the presence of the Lord brought revival. Who remembers what the word, the sense of seasons of refreshing means? Rest, new life, rejuvenation, breath, newness, freshness. So when you say, Lord, I desire revival in my life, that is what the seasons of refreshing is all about. And they experienced revival in their midst. A great number was added to them when they heard the words of Paul who said in verse 47, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. They were revived. This newness of life. And if you have forgotten today, you were gathering on the Sabbath. Like them, you are here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus as we traditionally do on a day like today. And so therefore we can enjoy revival here and now in all of its variety. Maybe you desire for the Lord to revive you in your relationships. Maybe to revive you in your thought life, revive you in, in how you work in thanksgiving to the Lord and not complaining. That's a difficult one, isn't it? as the word says that God's will for us in Christ Jesus is to give thanks in all circumstances. And this revival, this, this refreshing, this rejuvenation is possible as we anticipate his presence. That's why we worship. That's why we begin through song because it, it, it saturates our heart. It prepares us, if you will, to anticipate this season of refreshing. And part of this variety of this revival is understanding that the Sabbath is a day for rest and kingdom work. That's the big idea for today. The Sabbath is a day for rest and kingdom work. The reason why I say that is the Sabbath is so much more than resting. It's both hearing the word of the Lord through worshipful reflection and keeping it in faithful love. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. Other translations say, do it. He says, you love me, Jesus says, if you follow my commands, if you do what I say. And so our happiness would be rooted in obedience to the word. That's the true mark of uh, as being a follower of Jesus. And, and Pastor Ed shared this several weeks ago. That is our spiritual act of worship and devotion to God that marks us as a follower of Christ. That's what separates us from the world. I desire to do what the Lord has called me to do and to keep his word over that of the world's. And in doing so, as Paul emphatically proclaimed the gospel, he was showing that by looking to Christ, who's a fulfillment of covenant promises, you and I will encounter regeneration, renewal, which is rest, but also the fruit of ministry as God intended by the power of his Holy Spirit. When you come into a place like this, 
which goes beyond these four walls. It could be in a house meeting. It could be anywhere that you're meeting in the presence of the Lord. You are meant to engage in ministry with one another. Too many times we could sit back and, and, and consume. And there's a time, as we see in the Sabbath, to rest. You need a refreshing. You've been through much. There's been hurt. There's been heartache. But we're also told in Scripture that by the comfort that you've received, you're able to comfort others. The power, the fruit of ministry that flows out of revival. That's how when someone is going through a circumstance and they're on their deathbed, deathbed, if you will, that through previous encounters of experience that I've had by seeing people healed against all odds, I can say going to that hospital, going to that hospital bed saying, look, I understand the report is grim. I understand what the physicians are saying and they are good and intentioned by God to work in your family member. But let's believe and trust that God can heal. The scripture says that by his stripes, we have been healed. But we can't encounter that refreshing, that renewal, or even that healing unless we go to him who heals. Knock, and the door will be opened. James, one of the followers of Jesus, tells us that we're to be doers of the word. And if we do not, we deceive ourselves. So what I want us to look at here this afternoon, that the Sabbath, when Jesus and how he understood the Sabbath, he taught by his life example that kingdom work continues on the Sabbath. Kingdom work continues on the Sabbath. Let's look to uh, Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 9. As you turn there, I'm reading from the CSB. The writer says, moving on from there, Jesus entered their synagogue. There he saw a man who had a shriveled hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he replied to them, who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take a hold of it and lift it out? A person is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. And then he told the man, stretch out your hands. So he stretched it out and was restored as good as the other one. Could you imagine a shriveled hand, a deformity, and in the midst in that moment, many here have seen that type of thing happen, and all of a sudden this came into perfect working order and harmony as God designed. Logically, with reason, you say, that's not possible. But then in faith, the spiritual vitality we have in Christ, you can say, but with God, all things are possible. And it says in verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. And Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Large crowds followed him and he healed them all. There's times that you are going to face opposition even on the Sabbath. But kingdom work prevails in the midst of all opposition. You don't know until you, you reach out. You don't know until you step out in faith to speak healing and restoration over one's life. And here in this passage, Jesus encounters this man with his withered hand, and we see that the Pharisees, they were meticulous about Sabbath observance. 
They thought they had the right intentions. They were meticulously carrying the letter of the law and they questioned Jesus' authority to heal. In fact, they believed that Jesus was a law breaker. In their view, Jesus had to be put to death. In Exodus 31, 14, this is where they were operating from. So don't forget, it's not that the religious Pharisees were just pulling some random, some random occurrence of law out of the hat just because they didn't like Jesus. In verse 14, it says, Observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Whoever profanes it must be put to death. If anyone does, not, or if anyone does work on it, that person must be cut off from his people. And then chapter 35, verse 2 of Exodus. For six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day you are to have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Anyone who does work on it must be executed. But the main difference that we looked at last week is it was a rest and cessation from ordinary work, your work, not the Lord's work, not kingdom work. It says rest to the Lord. And here we see in verse 13, Jesus' actions declare that doing kingdom work is always lawful to do on the Sabbath because you're demonstrating the very kindness and love of God through acts of mercy and, and compassion. It's not contrary to Sabbath. This is God's work. It's kingdom work. Jesus said in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You know, sometimes we can forget that the law and God's wisdom was designed to mediate our behavior towards God and one another. You know the key word with mediation? It's bringing out an agreement that works in order to reconciliation with the purpose of bringing that about between each other and us with God. Think about that. Doesn't it say somewhere in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that we're a new creation? The old is gone, the new has come. And that God has reconciled the world to himself and we've been, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Here Jesus is showing us this is what the Sabbath is all about. The true essence and spirit of the law is to prioritize reconciliation. That is genuine love and care for one another to the very point that when he had his last supper, I hope I don't lose you by mentioning food, that as they gathered, as they broke bread for the final time before he went to the cross, he said, this bread represents my broken body. That'll be broken for you. And then as he poured wine and drank it, he said that this, this blood, this wine symbolizes my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. His, his very actions would usher in this new covenant through his broken body, through his poured out blood, that through him, finally and for all time, once and for all, reconciliation with God would be put to rest, that you forevermore have perfect peace with your heavenly Father. And now what's beginning, continuing to work here and now is reconciliation with one another as we rearrange this sought life to think like Jesus. Think about it. In him, through Christ, the fulfillment of justification, the fulfillment of forgiveness, is it not right to say that through him, reconciliation is possible? 
There's been times I've experienced heartache in my life that I was only able to reconcile with people because of the grace and power of God as I asked for his presence. Because in the flesh, when people rub us the wrong way, we want nothing to do with them. When they hurt us, when they grieve us. But that's the essence of our loving father, isn't it? How many times did we turn our back on him? How many times have we rebelled against him? And yet he's come after us. He's made himself known to us through maybe a ministry of angels or ministry of the Holy Spirit and ministry through fellow brothers and sisters in Christ speaking a timely word to you, which we understand to be a word of knowledge. Reconciliation, mediation. In John 13, 34, Jesus speaks about the old commandment they've always known, Leviticus 19, 18. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you, and you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In fact, in Leviticus 19.18, it says, do not hold a grudge against members of your community. Do not seek revenge or to withdraw from your community, but to love one another. In this time, people were in the habit of withdrawing from the assembly of faith, withdrawing from the synagogue and thinking, I don't need the people in the temple. I don't need to gather. I can have church all by myself. That's very similar to today, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. But kingdom work involves each of us. Think about this beauty as we gather here today. Each one of you has a testimony. As you share and you gather, as you have conversation and welcome another, you're able to encourage one another through the season in life that you're in. But how could that happen if you don't gather? How could that happen if you forsaked the gathering of the church? Let's turn to Matthew 12. If you're already there, we see here that Jesus further clarifies this understanding of this kingdom work. It says, at that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some heads of grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, see, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priests? Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. If the Lord says it is good to do and be about kingdom work, then it is good. 
It is good and proper. He explains and he comes from this uh, point and he highlights there are instances where the sanctity of the Sabbath is superseded by the demands of the kingdom of God and what he desires to do in and through us. And I love how in verse uh, eight, Jesus asserts his authority as Lord of the Sabbath. You know, as a rabbi, in Jewish times, they're able to bind and loose the people from different teachings. And as the one has ultimate authority, he was able to align them with the true purpose and reason for the Sabbath. And as he inaugurated this new covenant, you know, through the shedding of his blood and his broken body at the cross, he was also affirming this enduring revelance of God's law, which included the Sabbath, but was for the benefit of all humanity. And so there would be no confusion. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verse 17, he says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. This includes the commandments, which says to keep the Sabbath holy. Holy, it's being set apart. It's a day to rest from your work and to rest in the work of God, but to be about the Lord's business, the work that he's doing through you in the midst of the people as you gather. Covenant relationship, working in perfect harmony. That you are right and justified as you minister and engage on the Sabbath. Look at this beautiful picture in Luke 4, 18 to 19. We see this picture of God's vision statement enacted through Jesus as he stepped into the temple once again on the Sabbath. It says in Luke 4, 14, after Jesus was tempted by the devil, he returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. And he was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Stop there for a moment. What did we just hear? He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as usual, to read. Jesus did not forsake meeting with other believers. And in verse 17, it says, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and unfolding the scroll, he found the place where it was written. This is prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, we live in a time where people walk around saying you can be saved as a believer in Christ, but you can be oppressed and, and demonized. You can be possessed by demons. How can your house that has been sanctified and justified by the enduring word of God who sets you apart, therefore be divided and be captive to demons? How can they dwell in the same house? In your spiritual house, it says you're the temple of God. Here, Jesus says, release for the captives. 
And then recovery of sight for the blind to be able to see that God loves you. He loves you. He's not holding a record just waiting to punish you because of the things that you did one point or time in your life. He wants you to see that what has been paid in full is true and firm and realized for you today. And to set the oppressed free. The very things that have held you captive, that by his name, you are set free. That's the proclamation of the Lord's favor on the Sabbath. As we gather here today, we are resting in not only what he has accomplished from the beginning of time, the redemptive story, all the way through to the cross at Calvary, through to today, that you can walk in freedom. You can walk and see the goodness of God every day of your life because of the Lord's favor through faith in Jesus. And so Jesus says in verse 20, well, the, the account, sorry, says he rolled up the scroll he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. Thank you, Jesus. On that very day, the very promise was fulfilled. He said, today, this has been fulfilled. You cannot encounter the restoration and the rejuvenation unless you take him at his word. He doesn't force it upon you. He loves you. But if you could respond as many times you have, like the people as Paul was proclaiming in the synagogue, that you will encounter through this wonderful anticipation of his presence, the acts of ministry in you and all around you. Shared worship, shared renewal, shared ministry. All by aligning ourselves with Jesus. 1 John 4, 16 says this as I close. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and the one who remains in love remains in him and God. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That mediation, the very purpose, the ministry that we continue to have is reconciliation. Imagine yourself as a torchbearer. I'm going to invite John to come. As a torchbearer in a relay race, you've been entrusting with passing on this flame of reconciliation, not only to those around you, but to the next generation. How will you run? 
How will you run? Will you run with zeal doing the work that Jesus is calling to you with the very basis of the word and wisdom of God was, was leaning towards and, and, and pointing us towards in future reference? Will you stretch forth in that relay in the midst of opposition? Or you say, it's not for me. <laughs> Reconciliation. This is all part of the Sabbath day of rest and kingdom work. And I say that because many times through circumstance and, and issues, we can come and gather or maybe not gather because of how someone has wronged us and how they have hurt us. But in this assembly, I want to encourage us as the beloved disciple John said to the household, he said to walk in love. To walk and nurture love and that is reconciliation. Sometimes that'll involve going to the person because sometimes we don't know when we've hurt someone. You can go and have a conversation. Hey, you may not be aware of this, but you know, when you, when you said this, you know, that, that really hurt me. And Jesus actually said, when there's a conflict, when there's a disagreement, go to that person, have a conversation. How can you experience rejuvenation, restoration, and freshness in that relationship unless you go to the person? Too many times I've got calls, even in my young life, you know, as a pastor through the years. You know, I, I can't return on Sunday, pastor. I really want to, but... You know, you wouldn't believe what so-and-so said to me. I'm, I just can't go back. I'm like, that's, that's really too bad. Because you're not allowing and believing that the, the presence and power of God can move in that relationship. It's not always easy. I understand that. I'm still working on that. But collectively, I believe the beacon of light to the world would be as we are holding true to the kingdom promises and purposes, the very gospel itself, as we are united in that, that will be a beacon to our community and to the world. Hey, that church on their hope for a day, no one's perfect, but they believe that Jesus is the hope for the day. They're not there to condemn one another. They're there to encourage another, to reconcile with one another. I wanna be part of that family. I wanna be part of that community. Amen. Let's join in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your enduring living word. Lord, we trust in you, the author of our salvation, the provider of strength and reconciliation. Father, we thank you as we look to you, you bring all things through to fruition and fullness. Fruitful ministry. Lord, as we take this time to come before you, would you reveal to each heart here today areas in where you desire to bring about reconciliation? Lord, you would reveal yourself in a fresh way and that together we will grow stronger as a church body to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Join the, join the, have you join us to sing and worship together.